0: Hi, everyone. This is the Philosophy Exchange podcast. You're listening today to our new special series where we ask young academics to briefly present a paper they have just published. Uh, I am Jakob, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Walter Veit from University of Sydney. Welcome, Walter, and thanks for being here.
1: It's a pleasure to be invited.
0: Today we want to talk about your paper, Model Diversity and the Embarrassment of the Riches, which was just published in the Journal of Economic Methodology. Uh, So my first question would be, what motivated you to write this paper? And like, what's the topical background to the paper?
1: Sure, I mean, this paper has a really long backstory because it basically resulted out of my original bachelor thesis. Um, So I did my undergrad, just like Jakob here, Uh, in Bayreuth studying philosophy and economics. And my thesis was on sort of model pluralism. I wrote about the role of evolutionary game theory models and how they can possibly explain what role they play sort of as a case study for how models in economics do explanatory work. Sometimes economics perhaps more so than any other science though climate science often gets charged with this criticism as well we're often faced with this criticism that our models don't explain. Um, We need more empirical work. Um, And there has been this economist, Danny Roderick, who argued, actually, both the critics of economics and the defenders of economics, so the economics professors who go out to defend it, kind of get it wrong both. So both are to blame, but perhaps the economics professors more so because they then Um, sort of fabricate this image of economics as being about creating these single models that you can apply very widely. And Danny Roderick said, well, that's just completely wrong. Economists don't falsify models. Economists actually want to create a sort of library of models. We want to have a huge range of models that we can apply in different circumstances. And my paper, um, Model Diversity and Embarrassment of Reaches is very strongly linked to Daniel Roglic's idea. So there was this reply um, that was written by Janov and Marcioni in 2018. There was a special issue in Justice Journal where they um, sort of endorsed the idea of model pluralism as something that's good but they said in order for it to be viable, we would, we would need something like a model selection procedure because otherwise we would be faced with what they call an embarrassment of riches of models. Uh, what do they mean by that? Well, think of a policy maker, think of a model in economics. You need to make a choice at some point of which model to use for whatever uh, policy decision. You know, do it, make it. and that seems to make sense. And if you then think, oh, model pluralism suggests to just take all the models on board and they give you um, contrary results, then it seems like we have a problem. How do we make a decision? And so initially, it seems very clear that there might be a problem here. But my paper argues that this is completely misleading. And that in fact, there is no intrinsic problem to model pluralism itself. It's a general problem for science.
0: Okay, that's quite interesting. And um, So I would be interested in how your paper argues like in this literature or what's what 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 are you arguing with your paper?
1: Hmm. So I had this Sorry. earlier paper that came out two years prior, which was called Model Pluralism and you can see this paper sort of an extension of this view so in that paper i argued that in philosophy of science and in philosophy of economics what we often see are lots of papers being written about how models explain and it's often case study based so they use one model maybe two and they discuss them they idealize some features away from it they almost give you an account a model account of models Um, But I fear that I often idealize too much and then generalize from one model to all others. Um, so there's a tendency to overgeneralize there. And I think that's a bit dangerous. So my model pluralism paper that I wrote back then argued, look, what you actually often need in scientific work are multiple models. It's not the particular model that does the explanatory work it's our set of models it's the models we have together that are relevant for the particular purpose Um, so whatever target we want to explain multiple models are necessary and that's well accepted if we think about robustness analysis of course robustness analysis is is clearly about um, tweaking our models in minor ways to show that the mechanisms the effects and the outcomes are robust we can actually have faith in the model if you apply it to policymaking. And this then naturally lends itself to what I argue in model diversity and the embarrassment of riches. So it's a mistake, I argue, to think that it's the particular model that does actually the work in policymaking. I think that's a mistake, right? Economists don't create this one model and then just hand it over Um, to a policymaker who just then puts his um, data in there and then it tells him what to do. That's not how it works, right? Our models should rather be understood as something um, more like a tool. And that's a popular view in the philosophy of science literature on models. So you should rather think of it as look, we have all these tools and using them together, we can more or less make sense of what goes on in a complex social world. And it's this sense-making that we then use for policy-making, it's not the models per se, it's the models are used to create knowledge and this knowledge is then used. So it's a bit of a mistake to, I think, to argue, oh, we need to reduce the number of models to be graspable. And I think there might be a problem in the sense that policymakers would be expected to know all this economic literature. This clearly wouldn't be possible. So in that sense, I do think there's an embarrassment of riches, but I think that's a general problem for almost all policymaking. Um, You can't be an expert in the whole literature, Um, but both science and policymaking are social activities. So just as we have specialization in science, we can have specialization in politics. So you should think of science as economics more as a sort of social activity where economists cooperate and create multiple models for different purposes. And now putting them together, you can start why economics as a whole makes sense of things. Whereas if you just think of a single model and you sort of try to apply it to the real world, it looks as if it's completely far too idealized. that can't be used, it gives you a wrong idea of the world. Um, Rationalization assumptions are just not tenable. And I think that's the mistake that Danny Roderick wanted to point out. Um, It's actually the diversity that matters.
0: And the way I understand your mar- argument, so so out of this like diversity, um, the way I understand it, janov and Marchioni try to find some kind of mechanism to choose the right model or to, to choose the right sets of models, um, to so that the policymaker doesn't have the embarrassment of the riches. Um, but you tend to disagree with that as like with this attempt, right? Right.
1: So basically, what they do, and I think, um in one sense it's very traditional philosophical work so if you think of philosophy as modeling and you might think of it as a sort of attempt to idealize across the features of the world to give you one big model that explains as much as possible um there was this um, ecologist levins who famously argued look in modeling there are always trade-offs between precision Generality and realism. And philosophers often then give up precision and realism in order to have a very general model of the world. And that's very admirable and that can be very useful. But sometimes what you inevitably end up with is then you sacrifice so much realism and so much precision that it's just no longer useful to be applied to that particular purpose. So I argue look, if you want to create this one modeling procedure, this one model selection procedure, which you, which a policymaker can use for whatever purpose. And that just lends itself to one model, the sort of black box, you put whatever in, the context doesn't matter. I don't think that's a viable idea. So I think that's completely misleading. I think the sets of models, the, the way models are constructed, it's far too much of a heterogeneous class of entities of practices contexts while uh, differ so wildly if you think about climate change models if you think about housing markets if you think about which particular interventions in education uh, might create more uh, welfare over time um, that's just not uh, such a unified class that you could have this one model that generalizes over that so i want to urge caution here I think it's absurd to think that you need one such model that you can use for everything um, in order for model pluralism to be viable. If you take my perspective and think of model pluralism as something that's inevitable in science, then this is an inevitable problem for science itself. So what you really need to do is think about the context much more. And you see this in Danny Roderick's work. So Danny Roderick has often criticized other economists for just applying uh, models created for the US market for developing nations. And often then um, the policy recommendations went completely wrong. So he argued we need to look much more at the context, for instance, Brazil, Um, and it might be very different. And then our policy recommendations might be very different. And I think that's a very important point, context, first model later.
0: Okay, thank you. That sounds quite interesting. Um, my, my last question would be, uh, are there points that you would have liked to expand it even more on within this topic? Or are there further points of research that you think about working on or that other people should be working on?
1: Hmm. So originally, funnily enough, I wanted to do my PhD on model pluralism. Um, I was told this probably has been done too much already. I couldn't say anything novel. Or I might end up with a PhD that just repeats what has been said in the recent years. And that's of course worrisome, because if you want a job, if your PhD is just a repetition of the literature, that's not gonna be very useful. Now in my PhD, I'm doing something very different, um, but I'm still very interested in the modeling aspect. So I've spent of course my undergrad thinking about models and much of my master. And so one thing I am particularly interested in I think is how, how you can use models from different literatures, put them together and then make sense of um, the different things they tell you about the world and try to combine it. So you have these different puzzle pieces and somehow you want to stitch them together. Or you see this in evolutionary biology, what do you do with a genetic model, uh, um, ecological model, put them together, but in economics you see that as well. Macro models, microeconomics models. How do you put them together? Some people have often tried and failed to provide micro foundations for macroeconomics models. And here I think you see the failure again, this attempt to create this one model that explains everything. We need to be more careful. So I think there's a real problem here, um, which is to use models created in different modeling cultures and modeling with different modeling practices, you have different norms for what a good model is. And from that perspective, so if you think about one modeling um, sort of practice where they have their own norms, it's very reasonable just to then have a macro level perspective and see why one modeling culture disagrees with another, because they might have different norms. What is a good model? They have very different contexts They were interested in very different phenomena. But then for us as philosophers of economics, Um, if you're interested not only in the particular practice and how it works and how we might uh, improve things, I'm more interested in a sort of philosophy of nature. If you think of economics as um, a real phenomena in nature, and there's lots of different cultures and economics that try to understand it in different ways. And then philosophy is this sort of discipline that emerges on top where we try to combine it to actually make sense of things. So here I think of philosophy less as a, an activity as philosophy of economics, but rather sort of a philosophy in economics where you're trying to combine what the, these models tell us. So this is something I'm very much interested in. And um, so one thing I would like to find out is how we can use uh, models from Um, how the preferences are formed, how to combine behavioral economics studies in neuroeconomics in particular, to find out why economic models explain. Why do we have the sort of preferences, the sort of neural architecture that makes these economic models explanatory? And here I want to tell a story that combines that, which is more or less evolutionary.
0: Okay, if one of our listeners wanted to read one book or one paper on, on the topic, do you have a suggestion for that?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think um, there's really good work by two philosophers of economics in particular. And here I recommend the work of Don Ross. He's written an introduction to the philosophy of economics with just the sort of spin I just gave you, looking at economics as a phenomena in nature that we're trying to study. That's a very naturalist take. And then there's also very interesting work recently by (laughs) David Spurrett, who's very interested in the neuroeconomics of decision-making. How can this be used for studying addiction? and yeah david's uh, david spirit don ross these are the guys to look at
0: okay thank you very much walter thanks it was a pleasure um to our listeners thank you very much for listening tune in on spotify or whatever medium you're listening to us and follow us on twitter at phil exchange. see you the next time